The reaction when people hear that we have two trans kids is pretty shock and awe. Olivia said she was transgender from the age of four until five. She didn't socially transition until she was five years old and entering kindergarten. When James was eight years old, he asked to transition, which meant social transition. He just now, in a month ago, started hormone blockers. Hormone blockers. At 11 years old, you think it's a good parenting choice to allow an 11-year-old to make a permanent decision like that? A decision that, by the way, will make him infertile when he grows up? And he is counting down the days until he can start testosterone, which would be the first time something permanent would be happening. Because at that point, it would affect fertility. If you use a blocker and go on to testosterone, your eggs would never mature. Mm -hmm. Well then, while you're at it, why not just get him a sleeve tattoo? Oh wait, that would be illegal. And it's illegal for a reason. Now it's one thing if your 11-year-old wants to say he's gay or he wants to dress up and act like the opposite gender. You can always change your mind if that's the case. But to give them a medication that will permanently sterilize them and quite possibly make it extremely difficult to function sexually when they are adults is wrong. Even the tattoo example is not as severe because at least those can be removed after some considerable effort. What I find strange, though, is that there is all this social support for giving children medication that will sterilize them, but if you are a woman who doesn't want children, it's almost impossible to get a doctor to sterilize you, even in your 20s. I read women's stories trying desperately to get this procedure, which is very interesting because the legal requirements in my state for getting this kind of surgery were be at least 21 years old, peer of sound mind, acting of your own accord, and have a 30-day waiting period. And I was perplexed that I could meet all of these legal requirements and still have to face a battle in the exam room for my bodily autonomy. No one was going to approve this procedure. Even for men, you still have to be 18 to get a vasectomy, and doctors can still reject you if they don't believe you are mature enough. Now, before I go any further, let's set the stage a little bit. These clips come from a series called My Trans Life, and this episode is called Both of Our Children Are Trans. It features parents Sarah and Ben with their kids, Olivia and James. James is around 11, and Olivia is 7. Olivia is a biological male who has socially transitioned into a female, which is not permanent. And James is a biological female who is medically transitioning into a male, which is permanent. Now, I want to make it clear that none of the criticisms I make in this video are directed at the kids. All of my criticisms are aimed at the parents and the media. I also want to make it clear that this video is not an attack on the transgender community. If people want to transition as adults, then that's their choice. As long as you aren't hurting anyone, I don't care how you identify yourself. We shouldn't be treated better or worse. I agree. People shouldn't be treated better or worse because they identify as the opposite gender. People should be judged based on the content of their character. Which of course means I also agree with the first part of young Olivia's statement, which is that people shouldn't be given special treatment just because they happen to fall into a particular group. Just making sure people heard the kids say that. Anyway, let's get into it. But first, if you like the content on this channel, then please consider making a donation. Viewer support helps me stay independent, and it helps fund a lot of the quality improvements that I make on this channel. 
Links to my PayPal, Patreon, and Subscribestar pages can all be found in the description. Also, don't forget to support me on all tech. You can find the links to my Minds page and my BitChute channel in the description as well. Getting back to the kids, I'm making a big deal out of this because the older one, James, says he wants children when he grows up. And you've always said you wanted to be a parent. Yeah. So what are you going to do about that if you can't have your own child? Adopting, like, is a great idea to me. So I am a big fan of adoption, and adopting is a really generous thing to do. But typically when people grow up, they want their own biological children. James now doesn't have that choice. James is only 11. Generally, people are mature enough to have kids around the age of 25. That's more than twice his age. He is just a little kid whose biology and mentality are constantly changing. He has no idea how he's going to feel when he is 25 or how much he's going to change in the next 14 years. It is highly irresponsible of the parents and the doctors, by the way, to allow him to make a permanent decision like this at 11. The parents seem to be more concerned about reassuring people that everything is okay instead of being concerned about their child's future. Can you show me what the blocker looks like that's implanted? First show me in your arm. Where is it? It's right there. Right there? Can I feel it? Mm-hmm. Does it hurt? Uh, it feels weird, but feels it doesn't weird. hurt. And what's the sample look like that you have? It looks like this. See, kids? Hormone blockers aren't that scary. It's just a little straw thing. The whole media narrative behind hormone blockers is don't worry, they're a safe drug and they don't have any problems. Listen, every drug has side effects. Here's an article done by the St. Louis Children's Hospital saying that hormone blockers mess with your bone density. But don't worry because they give their patients calcium and make sure they exercise. Yeah, right. Considering how little the average American exercises, I guarantee you they aren't following that program for more than a few weeks, let alone the several years it would take to actually be effective. Hormone blockers also screw with your height and development of genital tissue along with other possible long-term side effects that we don't know about because there isn't enough data. So essentially, your kids are the guinea pigs. Speaking of research, it turns out that when you look more into it, most kids who say they are the opposite of their biological gender change their minds when they grow up. This is a report done by the Hastings Center that points out that on the low end, 73% of girls grow out of gender dysphoria with psychological treatments. 73%. On the high end, it's 88%. For boys, it's 77% on the low end, and on the high end, it's 94%. If you actually pay for the full text instead of just reading the abstract like most air quote researchers do, it says that the majority of kids grow out of it by adolescence. So you are giving your child, who is a biological female, hormone blockers before puberty that will have a permanent effect when the overwhelming odds are that the kid will grow up to identify as their biological sex. Real responsible. There is a concern from a lot of people that this could be a phase and this ultimately may not be who they are. But knowing that they're going to always have the experience of love and acceptance from us is key. We will love and accept them if they come to us tomorrow and say that they've changed their mind. We will love and accept them if they don't. Change their minds? It's already too late for the older one to do that. The report I showed goes on to say that if a person still has gender dysphoria in late adolescence, 
they will permanently identify as a gender different from their biological one. That's ages 18 to 24, and that's when permanent decisions should be made, not during childhood. For some reason, people like to pretend that we have this perfect technology that will turn a female into a male without error, but only if you get them while they're kids. I have news for you. There is no technology that we have access to in 2021 that will perfectly turn a female into a male. There are always going to be remnants of your biological gender, which means there is literally no reason to do this to children. I mean, when I was a kid, a girl who liked male things was just called a tomboy. I had no idea that liking male or female things required intense medication that stunted your growth, lowered your bone density, and made you infertile. I guess things have changed. However, as I always do, let's give the parents a chance to make their case. This is their best argument for their behaviors. We're doing a lot of research, and research has proven that we're doing the right thing. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I learned the scary statistics of what happens when a parent is not supportive of their transgender child. The high amount of suicide that occurs scared me. Oh, you did your research. Does that mean you Googled a few articles written by journalists who already agree with you? Or did you actually look at both sides? Because seeing that almost every kid grows out of gender dysphoria, it sounds to me like you only considered your side. As for the suicide argument, I want to use this to point out how effective cultural propaganda is. For years, we have seen campaigns and shows like 13 Reasons Why that promote the idea that bullying is what causes suicide. While bullying is not a great thing, it's not the cause of suicide. People attempt or commit suicide because of abusive home environments. You have to be pretty miserable to want to end your own life. Sure, you can get bullied at school, but if your parents and home life are great, then you have an escape and people to counsel you on your experiences. People who are suicidal get bullied at school and then they come home to an environment where they are also abused or neglected by their parents. For someone to become suicidal, there has to be no escape. But the media will have you believe with shows like 13 Reasons Why that just out of the blue, this girl dies and it's all the fault of her 13 peers. Perfect home life, middle class, great parents who are supportive and care about their daughter. That's not real. And the writers admitted they were wrong about the psychology because in season two, they retconned the show so that the girl who committed suicide had terrible parents. But then, of course, they screwed up again by turning a different kid who was bullied on the show into a school shooter who also happened to have a perfect family. Read the stories of school shooters. They do not come from good families. People who do these things are miserable and feel like they have nothing. That's why if you want to prevent people from doing horrible things, you have to teach them how to build good relationships and be successful. Happy people don't do horrible things. That being said, if Sarah and Ben are actually good parents, they should have nothing to worry about. Also, if they are good parents and they believe that both of their children have a 40% chance of attempting suicide, then the first thing they should do is not put them on hormone blockers, but instead put them in therapy. I mean, if I thought I had just a 5% chance of attempting suicide, I would be seeing a therapist three times a week. Going back to that study I showed earlier, it says that kids who get therapy have a minimum of a 70 to 80% chance of growing up to identify as their biological gender. 
So answer me this. If these kids grow up and change their minds about which gender they want to identify as, how are they going to feel when they can no longer have biological children and will very likely experience tons of sexual dysfunction? Those kinds of things tend to make people very depressed. Also, since it's relevant, people who transition still have really high suicide rates. So if you are transitioning your kids as a supplement for therapy, you are not solving the problem. These kids need therapy. If they end up still deciding that they want to transition as adults, then so be it. But I don't think that children at 11 and 7 really understand the weight of these decisions that are going to affect them for the next 70 years of their life. Because I think it's very likely that social influence has caused them to make this decision, and not biology. Take a look at this. This is a comic from Cartoon Network that is targeted at children. It says on the bottom, We can't tell someone's gender just by looking at them, and we shouldn't assume we know. There are many gender identities beyond boy or girl. Some people don't identify as any gender. I have a question. Why is this being taught to children? 99.5% of people identify as their biological gender, but now we can't know if someone identifies as a he or a she, even though that assumption is right almost every time. And if someone makes a mistake, correcting them is a minor inconvenience. Yet feel free to drug your kids if they say they are the wrong gender when there's an 80% chance they will change their mind. Wow, that is some fantastic logic. Here's where the social influence comes in. Kids are highly impressionable. These radical groups know that, which is why they always go after children. I'm the mother of a young son, and I'm raising my son as a feminist. As I said before, the girls who were into male activities back when I was a kid were called tomboys, and no one made a big deal out of it. All of the ones I knew grew up to identify as their biological gender, and it was the same for the boys who were into female activities. But what this is suggesting is that if you are a girl who likes trucks and a boy who likes dolls, you are actually the wrong gender. Therefore, we need to give you a ton of harmful medication that alters your biology before you are old enough to make a sound decision. Here's something odd that I found during my research. This next clip comes from an interview with a psychologist named Marcus Evans. He has been working around transgendered people and gender dysphoric children for decades, and he brings up a quite interesting point. When you say kids, how old are these children? Well, th th this, this whole area has changed exponentially. So if we went back to the first 30 years of my time in psychiatry, there were small numbers of people that would transition post-18, mainly male to female, mm. sort of 80, 85%. In the last 15, 20 years, there's been this exponential rise and a completely different cohort and these are 85% female to male, and they're getting younger and younger. So I think in her day, there were a lot of 15, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. Now you're getting kids of 10, 11, 12. Isn't that strange? In a short time span of 15 years, the vast majority group changed from men to women. If this was a biological phenomenon, that couldn't happen. Changes in genetics takes thousands of years. But do you know what has changed during that time period? Social media. Social media has been pushing this kind of stuff on children since at least 2012, as far as I can remember, and probably before that because it was pretty prominent when I started using Facebook around that time. 
One thing I know about human psychology is that on average, women are more agreeable than men. If you take the big five aspects test on understandmyself.com, it will tell you that women typically line up at the 61st percentile of agreeableness, and men typically line up at the 38th percentile of agreeableness. The higher the percentile, the more agreeable. The lower the percentile, the more disagreeable. Now, the difference in agreeableness is not massive. It's not like women are 10 times more agreeable than men. However, a 20% difference is a huge deal when it comes to the extremes, meaning that almost all of the most agreeable people are women, and almost all of the most disagreeable people are men. Since transgendered people are only 0.5% of society, we are talking about the extremes, which is important to note because high agreeableness makes you impressionable. Also, this. But Marcus, aren't there also, you know, websites in particular? I think Pinterest yeah. was one that was being named encouraging children to transition yeah. or see themselves as trans. Yeah, there, there are websites that um, boast if you feel out on a limb, a little bit odd, like you don't fit in. Well, that's probably about 50% of adolescents. <laughs> I don't know what your adolescence is like, but I felt like I was a sort of square peg in a round hole. You know, come join the site, and then there's a sort of co a coaching. Kids are coached to get past the gatekeeping questions. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the clinicians say, that the kids are almost like they're they're just speaking rote what they know the clinicians are you know so you've got a tick box sort of scenario these are the questions you'll be answered these are the answers that they're looking for interesting that he mentioned pinterest pinterest is primarily used by women that may make my previous point more relevant however the more shocking thing he said is something i mentioned earlier which is that they are taking kids who are experiencing normal problems and pathologizing those problems so that they require treatments. Huh. I mean, it's not like we've ever seen the medical industry do that before with ADD medication, depression medication, or painkillers. They're very attracted to the sort of doctrine that says, basically, the reason you're suffering is because of X. If you do Y, you'll get rid of all your problems. There you go. A kid says, I have a problem. They go onto social media, which links them to a website that says, your problem is that you were born in the wrong body. You need hormone blockers. Okay, sounds plausible. You're a kid, so you don't know any better. Now you are hyper-focused on it and insistent that you were born the wrong gender. When the reality is, like I was saying with the stuff on suicide, is that many of the kids who go into gender clinics have a myriad of other problems outside of gender dysphoria. Lots of these kids are on the autistic spectrum. They have all sorts of secondary comorbid um, issues. They're, they're, they're sort of um, socially phobic. They've got eating disorders. They may be depressed. Now, after hearing that, I want you to listen to James describe why he decided to transition. Before I had transitioned, I had like a piece missing to me and it just didn't feel right. I felt like a piece was missing. That could literally be anything. There are a ton of problems James could have that result in that feeling. Here's an obvious one. James is a very obese 11-year-old. Are these people going to tell me that gender identity is more important than that? Letting your kid gain that much weight is child abuse. Forget the medication he's taking. The obesity alone is setting him up for not only a ton of health problems, 
but a series of pathological behaviors that will be extremely difficult to overcome in adulthood. Again, this is not a criticism of James, this is a criticism of his parents. By the way, during the interview with Marcus Evans, he says that children going through puberty and receiving their biological hormones tends to have a remarkable effect on curing gender dysphoria. This is another reason why the activists are so insistent on getting children before they hit puberty. So no, documentaries like My Trans Life are not about promoting tolerance. It's about pushing the Overton window so that people will accept the sterilization of children. If it was about tolerance, you wouldn't need to have TV shows virtue signaling to kids. You would instead let the medical professionals ask the questions and make the diagnosis, not Cartoon Network or Pinterest. Then, you teach the parents and the school faculty how to handle this situation and the rare chance that it happens. If you foster a culture where people aren't bullied for having different beliefs, no one is going to hurt a trans kid. If you manage kids properly, problems with consistent bullying don't develop, and that transcends the trans issue. But that doesn't start with the kids, it starts with the adults. Oh, and by the way, what do adult trans activists do on the occasion that someone accidentally calls them by the wrong gender? They flip out and try to ruin your life. Excuse me, sir. There's a young man in here. Excuse me, it's ma'am. It is ma'am. I need your corporate number. Because I'm going to talk, call them and talk about how I was misgendered several times in this store. I need your corporate number now. Tell me, who is the bully in that situation? Way to lead by example. Speaking of social engineering, what is the probability that something extremely rare will happen, like having two transgendered kids in the same family? Well, first I want to point out that this family is from Berkeley, California. What a shock. They live in an extremely progressive area. I am sure that didn't shift the odds of something that is supposed to be completely biological at all. The actual odds of a 0.5% chance happening twice are approximately 1 in 200,000. So, is it more likely that they played the odds, or is there a social component? Olivia said she was transgender from the age of four until five. I would say that it was less shocking because we had just had a child transition. A lot of people think that it must be a copycat situation where the younger one's just mimicking the older one, thinking that the older one's getting some kind of praise or feedback and they want the same attention, which makes sense, which is why we also hesitated in terms of jumping into another social transition. But this is who she is, and this is where we are. People had their concerns, but we just decided to ignore them. Yeah, sure, it's not at all possible that the kids have seen all the promotion of the transgender community and are just doing this for attention. Kids never do that. Nor is it possible that your biological son saw all the attention and praise that your biological daughter was getting and therefore decided to transition as well. I reacted to Olivia transitioning like most older siblings would, which is kind of like, but really? Even though I'm trans, <laughs> I got a little defensive because I thought it was my thing. Listen to James's words. If he wasn't doing it for attention, then he wouldn't have gotten offended when his biological brother wanted to transition into a female. Look, I get it. James is an obese kid, and he was overweight before his social transition, based on their pictures. Behavior that I am sure he totally didn't pick up from his obese mother's eating habits. Again, child obesity is child abuse. Excellent parenting, Sarah and Ben. So I can imagine that James was made fun of for his weight, 
But then he hears about how amazing and special transgender kids are on Cartoon Network. More importantly, his subconscious notices that if he is ever bullied for being transgender, it's now a hate crime. Obesity is a choice, but according to the mainstream narrative, gender identity is entirely biological. Now they are attacking him for something he can't change. With that in perspective... The fact that our kids are transgender is one of the most unextraordinary things about them. They are both so amazing, and it's not because they're trans. Well, they are being put into a video that has 1.8 million views because they are transgender. You are literally famous now because of the thing that you said was not extraordinary. If it's so inconsequential, then why did you volunteer to do the documentary? Because I think it would be terrible if this whole thing was more about social points among your friends than it was about doing what's right for your kids. Luckily with Olivia, she's so young, she's only seven. The first thing would be a hormone blocker, and that's not until she would hit stage two of puberty. As of right now, we just follow her lead. And we parent, for those of you who think that we're just following our children around <laughs> and doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> that was a really unusual nervous laugh after that last statement. Kind of like you don't believe what you just said. Because it looks to me like the kids are parenting you, and you are not doing your primary job, which is to prevent them from making bad decisions that have a permanent effect. Alright, I've seen enough, so I'll end on this. There's an old metaphor from a really popular book called The Odyssey. The Odyssey is the story of a king named Odysseus who gets lost at sea on his way home from the Trojan War. During this journey, he encounters creatures called the Sirens. Sirens are creatures who attract people with a beautiful song so they can lead those people right into death by crashing their ship into a bunch of rocks. Odysseus is given a warning by the goddess Circe that if he wants to hear the siren song, which is the most beautiful song in the world, he can have his crew block their ears with wax so they don't get influenced while he is tied to the mast of the ship. So when they get close to the sirens, Odysseus tells his crew to not untie him no matter how much he struggles or begs. They follow Circe's advice, and Odysseus and the crew survive the sirens. That is a very powerful metaphor that every one of us has experienced. There are things out there that seem attractive that in reality will lead to our destruction. People typically use this metaphor to reference attractive women who are abusive, but the metaphor isn't just limited to that. The reason we surround ourselves with good friends is because they don't have a stake in the game. They are deaf to the influence of whatever situation we are in, and that deafness allows them to make rational decisions. Their lack of emotional investment will keep you from crashing into the rocks. In the case of this video, James and Olivia's parents should be keeping them from making bad decisions. You think you're the wrong gender? Okay, let's get you into therapy, let's make sure you're okay, because transgender people have a really high suicide rate. Then, when you are an adult, you can decide if you want to make that transition permanent. That's how you deal with it. If there is bullying, then like every other bullying situation, you as a parent need to counsel your kids on how to effectively deal with the bullies, or find someone else who can. The reason I talk so much about communication skills and friends is primarily because of this. There are a lot of traps you can fall into, or bad behaviors and sick ideas you can develop if you don't have good people around you. Friends, family, and your community are there to keep you sane. And these people need to be real, not people on the internet. I've mentioned before that Discord can be used as a supplement, 
But that is only a temporary solution because of the political situation that we are in. Online friends alone aren't good enough because you can easily hide aspects of your personality that make you look bad. For example, if you are an alcoholic and you only have friends on Discord, you can go ahead and leave a bunch of empty bottles of vodka and whiskey all over your house and no one will know. If you pass out drunk and slam your head against the counter, none of your friends in Discord chat will be able to see any of those visual cues that signify that happened. No one can tell you are in distress or making bad choices. But if you have real friends who can come over, see what your living environment's like, and see all the visual and social cues that you give off that can't be seen on Discord, they can react in a way that will cause you to change your behavior for the better. They can save you from yourself, and you can provide that to them too. One of the major components of social engineering and social control is getting rid of people's social connections so they are weak. Kind of like how an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend will isolate their partner from all of their friends. They do that because it makes it easier to control you. Do you think it's a coincidence that all of our social avenues are being shut down? I don't. These social engineers are doing that for a reason and then trying to polarize us politically against our friends and family so we are divided and weak. Don't let them do that. Learn how to build good relationships, repair the ones that can be repaired, and fight to keep them. But with that said, I think that's enough for this video. So if you liked it, hit the like button, subscribe if you're new, comment and share. If you would like to support this channel, then you can do so with PayPal, Patreon, or Subscribestar. You can find those links in the description. Last, if you haven't checked me out on BitChute or Minds.com, you can also find those links in the description. Otherwise, thanks for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.